I'm David Heitler Clevens. And I'm Rodney Wittenberg. And this is Music for the New Revolution. In this episode, Rodney and I are going to focus on the Recording Academy, the organization that facilitates the Grammy Awards, and uh, a recent thing that has happened where uh, because all five of the nominees were white and uh, four of the acts nominated also were male, um, there's been a lot of controversy. And in fact, three of the nominees, Alistair Mook, the Okidoki Brothers, and uh, Dean Jones have uh, voluntarily withdrawn their nominations. And um, rather than focusing on those white artists as, as worthy as they are, uh, we chose to interview and focus on a number of the wonderful uh, black and brown artists who were not nominated, who had submissions this year, a majority of them that we're interviewing did. And uh, we're going to start off with some music from Pierce Freelon. Stella, you're going to play. Hope you're ready for a daddy-daughter day. Yeah. Daddy daughter day, girl, what up? what up? Right now we can go anywhere you wanna. Yeah. Roller skating ring to the movies, chilling at the house. Maybe later on we could go get a banana flow. Mm. Yeah, cause that's really tasty. We can be lazy, stop and smell the daisies. Do what you want, me and you in the car. Go play in the arcade or shop at the mall. Hope you ready for a wonderful day. Sunny outside, hope you're ready to play. When your mama asks you how your day went, you gon' tell her daddy be your favorite. Sun is going down now, get into your jammies. Bedtime concert, performing at your Grammys. Close your eyes and now it's sleepy time. Tomorrow we go press for wine. Daddy done a day, 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 It's a daddy-daughter day, and the sun is so much brighter when it's smiling on your face. Homies call to hit the bar, tell them try another day. Rather be right where you are, you can pick your favorite place. We can hit the museum, life is science, you see them. Animals and zoos even recognize the beauty, and your smile as it radiates. You hide and we play and chase. Even if we doing nothing, it's time we could never waste. Tell mommy we go and play, just me and you on a date. Hope nobody told mommy for dinner we ordered cake. With ice cream and chocolate, Lion King, you watched it at least a hundred times. Just so you can hear him say, Hakuna Matata. This what we do with our daughters. And a salute to the fathers doing it all to provide a model of who you should follow. Promise to guide you on where to go. It's a daddy daughter day, bruh. Fatherhood is dope. Uncle Devin, the children's drum cushionist and uh, the owner of the Uncle Devin Show, which is an interactive musical experience for children that uses drums and percussion to cultivate their minds, sort of a dynamic cross between DC's trouble funk and schoolhouse rock. Um, and I'm also the owner of We Nation Radio, uh, which is a 24-7 online music platform that's true uh, that primarily focuses on music 
within R&B, hip hop, funk, jazz, go-go, reggae, and world music, as we call it, uh, providing the best and family-friendly global beats, Little Feet. And then I got into the family music uh, situation through my nephews and nieces. That's how I became Uncle Devin. Uh, and as they got older, you know, I would always play music for them. I didn't like any of the modern day music on the radio, so I created new, new music for them. They loved it, but they let their friends hear it, and their friends loved it. And went to one of one of their recitals, and other children were saying, "Uncle Devin, when are you gonna come out with some more music?" And I was like, "Ding!" And then I became <laughs> Uncle Devin. So I didn't really jump into it. I'm still really a newbie. I just came into it in 2012. Uh, but I was doing it since 2007 without any, you know, just kind of just as a hobby. It's it's so interesting how many of the stories of people who do this work, uh, it's sort of like a lot of us sort of fell into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's that whole category of people who like start doing it when they have kids themselves. Mm-hmm. But there's all these different trajectories. I mean, Rodney and I really both got into it largely through teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, but, you know, it's it's the stories are, are really fascinating, I think, of, of how mm-hmm. people end up doing this work, because very few people, I think, set out to be a children's or family musician, you know, from the get-go. Right, uh, so, right. So, Aaron, why don't you do the same? Introduce yourself. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, Aaron Nigel Smith here. I am the, um, I'm a producer and an educator, and I run the nonprofit One World Chorus. Um, as a um, lifelong musician, you know, I knew I wanted to do music with my life. You know, I went to conservatory and, you know, even before conservatory, I went to art schools for specifically for music. I went to Interlochen Arts Academy for high school and, and the American Boy Choir School for my grade school experience. So I've, I've been immersed in music my whole life and I've been performing professionally, you know, since right out of college, you know, and touring, touring around the world, singing primarily classical music, actually, and a lot of, um, choral music and oratorio and light opera. Um, And that experience was really um, great. I was where I wanted to be and what I had trained for. And then I started having kids and uh, just kind of that cycle of being on the road all the time was was difficult to maintain with kind of a a happy, to maintain a happy home with that type of an active touring schedule. Um, So I just took the risk to stop teaching or stop touring and instead I started teaching music uh, to young children and that was really the pivotal moment for me the first time I got in front of a classroom with a bunch of children um, I just you know just lit up and the youth lit up and all the reaction from all the teachers and it just felt like I had tapped into something uh, really special and so I just kind of rode that wave and continued to teach youth um, and then I continued to um, create curricula and write lots and lots of songs. I would write new songs every single week for about two years to use in the curriculum. And then those songs became songs that I ultimately started recording and then started adding into my, you know, live stage show and, and then eventually started producing videos and, you know, and, and more, more, um, more CDs and, and really keeping the educational processes going as well. Um, I was able to bring it all together through the nonprofit. So through the nonprofit One World Chorus, where you know educating youth in in um, chorus, drumming, and multimedia production, and also providing now I provide my performances through One World Chorus. So um, it's it's a been a been a long journey and a very fulfilling journey, and, de- and I'm definitely right where I'm, I'm. I feel I'm meant to be in the children's music space. Tell me about your audiences. Do you have a diverse audience or are you primarily playing for uh, people of color or what, what's it like out there for, for a business? Most of my audiences were schools and libraries. And I will still say the majority of the audiences would be, uh, let's say, 80 percent white. Um, uh, and uh, with the occasional, uh, uh, you know, getting some work or some library work in schools um, or in some of the schools in the libraries. But uh, but certainly, I, I, I'm definitely certain that the majority of the audience that I've reached so far has been uh, white. And one of the things I want to do is to have uh, to, to be able to reach more diverse community. Yeah, man. For And for me, um, I definitely echo the fact that most of the audience members that I'm seeing in my shows are, are predominantly white, to be honest. Um, I was producing a festival for for several years called the Rocks and Socks Children's Music and Book Festival. We still do it, but only in Jamaica right now. But but it started in the United States, in Portland, actually. 
and we did it in a part of town called Lake Oswego, and it's a you know very reputable, nice part of the community, and they were very supportive. A lot of sponsors came from that community, so we were able to do the festival really well. But what we noticed is that we couldn't get any people of color to come over to the event. Um, and so after two years in Lake Oswego, we stopped doing it in Lake Oswego and we moved it to the center of Northeast Portland, which is where the population of most people of color resided at that time. And we were able to get definitely at that point at the festival, we got like about 50% people of color, you know, once we did it that way. Um, we found we have to go out and seek the, the culture if we want to really, um, we need to seek the audience with people of color if we want to manifest it, you know. Um, I do extensive work every year in Jamaica now, you know, just to be around youth, uh, you know, that are that are uh, brown and black, and 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 they respond to the music just as much, if not more, uh, pop favorably than the white audiences. It's just a matter of getting them access to it. You know, these youth in Jamaica specifically, and in most urban communities, mainstream radio is their children's music. You know, so they know all the song, all the lyrics to the the number one nastiest hit you ever heard with all the foulest things and concepts you could imagine, but they don't know. In Jamaica, for instance, they wouldn't know a Bob Marley song, but they would know all of the, you know, the the ragamuffin, down and dirty street music, you know? So uh, it's really important that we expose and educate, you know, a wider audience and draw in a wider audience, um, a multicultural audience to appreciate this work, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think part of the reason that that phenomenon has happened is that a lot of kids, aside from just not knowing about a lot of children's music, associate children's music with white artists and white genres and that sort of thing? Well, I, th I think it's twofold. I think that is definitely part of it. Um, uh, when you, you know, most people grow up uh, listening and pretty much watching the same type of cartoons. But if you go back, like I did a show on my radio show the other day on... Um, theme songs to the top, the top theme songs to cartoons. And as I was listening, I listened to the flavor of most of the songs and most of them were, so you had a couple of jazz, but most of them were rock and roll. And the, the, a lot of the black community have just not into rock. Now I love that music. I mean, you go back to listen to Speed Racer and Batman and, and all, and you hear that type of music. Uh, but then the other part of it we have to look at is that historically blacks have been the blunt of races, lyrics, and music for so long. Um, and somewhere in the civil rights movement, we left, we, we didn't focus on children's music. We focused almost on every other component of racism and we just left that alone. And that's, I think what you see now, we're now leading the, the, the civil rights movement of that, you know, some 60 something years later. And I, and so, so I do think it is a combination of both. and and. And getting people to really, you know, the concept that I call, and I'll uh, not monopolize with this, is getting rid of what we call music adultification. Mm -hmm. That's where we force children to listen to inappropriate adult music instead of age appropriate and culturally relevant music. And the majority of that education is really toward the adults. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So I'm 57, and I remember as a kid, uh, you know, my dad was pretty upwardly mobile, working to be, you know, he grew up poor, but was trying to be middle class and working really hard at that. But as a little kid, I still went to R-rated movies. Mm. So I saw, mm -hmm. I, you know, I saw Superfly, Shaft, James Brown in Africa. I saw all those movies <laughs> when they came out, when I was like six, seven, eight, nine. Yep. So I think there also is this thing that it's part of the culture and it's one of the things that got me really charged up about doing and being a big proponent of kids' music. I remember, so I used to run a nonprofit back in the 90s, and I remember being at this event in Camden, and these little third, like, they had to be no more than six or seven years old. Little girls came out in this outfit, and they were dancing, and they were doing this incredibly provocative dance to push, push in the bush. And it just broke my heart, like these little teeny kids being sexualized like that. And uh, I was talking to David about it the other day. I said, you know, I don't even know. I don't even think the movements were necessarily sexual because they were doing African movements. It's just putting it against that music. But you, like you said, the parents have to be aware of it. So well, what do you guys think we can do to, I mean, I know that's not necessarily the focus of this, but I'm curious of what you think about how 
what could be done about that or what are you guys doing about stuff like that to educate the parents so that they c- understand that there's music out there that's good for the kids that they also like yeah i mean we have to seek them out you know i intentionally write music that i would want to listen to and i would want to rock out to you know mm-hmm. i've landed in the reggae genre as a very comfortable fit for me you know and a lot of my songs are funky there's a lot of hip-hop elements to it so i think we have to produce songs that resonate you know for our community and then the other half of that is the gatekeepers that you know control the children's music industry have to allow these different sounds and these culturally culturally relevant sounds and multicultural sounds to rise to the top and to be heard you know i believe that there is an intentional you know uh you know uh, effort to keep these black and brown voices out of the mainstream children's music you know so that the face of it can't always be that folksy that roxy that poppy sound and we don't transition to 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 actually embracing the fullness of the diversity in this in this field so i think you know, definitely creating the content that speaks to our, our people and then pushing it out aggressively. You know, I have a dream of uh, Jamaica. There is zero. There's no children's music. There, a children's music industry does not exist in Jamaica. And one dream I have is to build a children's music industry down there. You know, uh, my, my albums are distributed through Tough Gong International, uh, Bob Marley's label, you know, and so they were able to feature some of my children's program on their Facebook page this summer. And I'm, I'm working with them and with the Jamaican community to try and, you know, build it, you know, and if we go into Ghana, build a children's music, you know, scene in Ghana, build a children's music scene, you know, in Ethiopia, build one in Kenya, build one in the States, build one in, in you know, uh, wherever we can. I think we got to build it if we want to see it. And I'll echo that. Um, the other part is even changing the terminology. Um, you'll find that a lot of us are now saying family music instead of children's Amen. music. Amen. Um, Amen. Because it's about the family. And what we're doing on We Nation Radio come January, for example, um, we're, we're, we're going to now start having weekly programming on different in different genres. So we have a, the, the Latin community. We're going to have a, our program just to focus in that community. Um, we have a, a sister out of Ethiopia uh, who ran a radio program in Ethiopia, but lives here in the Washington DC area. She's so excited about doing her own show on uh, children's music from East Africa. Mm. But then Jabali Africa, uh, Josek Osakoye, uh, is gonna do something for West Africa. Possibly, you know, working with Father Goose up in New York to deal with Jamaican music mm. and uh, reggae music rather, uh, of course, with Aaron Nigel Smith. And then um, there's another, there's a sister that uh, just came out of nowhere and she's a, so much of a breath of fresh air, uh, Toya Wills out of Guyana. And I, I don't know Dave, you've probably seen her. She's all over our community. And she, she's the only one now doing family music on a commercial station in Guyana. Mm. And she's always asking us, well, you know, where's the music, you know, where's the diverse music at? So I think it's slowly happening. And, uh, but once parents understand that it's not, dumbed down music that this is some great music that just happens to be made for children um i you know i think you'll find more people um gravitating toward it mm. excellent well you know it's, it's interesting because you know in a way like when aaron was talking about reggae i mean three little birds has been a hit you know among families and kids for mm-hmm. for ages mm-hmm. and ziggy marley did the theme for arthur you know tv show and mm-hmm. stuff like that so, you know, but what's interesting is it does seem like the audiences for those things has been largely white kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, there's a real irony there uh, that, that, that that's been true. So I, I think you're really thinking creatively and, uh, you know, about raising the visibility about mm-hmm. this across the board. Um, and it's, it's really amazing, I think, mm-hmm. that the work that you're both yeah. doing. And um, so, you know, a lot of this does lead us when we're talking about the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, to talking a little bit about the the recording academy and the you know the the fact that a lot of people are really upset this year that it, with all of these incredible submissions in the in the children's category of the Grammy process of from people of color that it ended up that all five nominees were white and that four of them were also male um, and you know so I just you know we've been asking various people and we want to ask you too to you know weigh in on this and you know, how you feel about it and also what you think needs to be done about it mm-hmm. or can be done about it. Yeah, it, it was really, um, this year's nomination process was really disappointing, um, uh, 
yet not shocking. You know, it's it's the standard, you know, and and I've seen over more than a decade now what the standard is and what uh, seems to rise to the top and what seems to get national prominence, you know, um, and, and ultimately clinch those nominations. So um, it it was definitely um, disappointing to see that there was no one there was it seemed that they didn't have the foresight, the wisdom, the courage, whatever you want to call it, to make the call that, hey, this is not right. We have to do something, you know, and, and I believe it comes down to all the people that voted, of course, not voting and picking people of color. And then it comes down to the, the committee that reviews all this material. They have to have some sort of you know, discernment and some sort of ability to say, hey, wait a minute here. It's 2020. Everything is going down. Are we really going to sign our names on this nomination list? You know, um, so it was just it was incredible that no one caught that and that the Academy itself didn't caught that. There was no oversight there. Um, so that said, it's been wonderful to see the reaction, you know, after Family Forward, Family Music Forward put out our statement you know, and, um, and I'll let uncle D pick up on that. Yeah, it, it, uh, it certainly has been. And I, I think the, um, you know, when you think about what happened this entire year, it was almost like the perfect storm. And it appeared as though the selection for the Grammys was uh, a message. Like, you know, you know, it was like a making sure it's almost like how Donald Trump got elected. You know, you had a black president. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to give you the total opposite. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how this felt with uh, with the with the five nominees. And again, and Aaron and I and, and, and even anyone that's watching, this has nothing to do with those five nominees. And to some extent, it's bigger than the Grammys because it just so happened that this was the platform that this came out in. But, um, you know, that's just part of history. And that's how that happens. Uh, but but Aaron will tell you, too, that one of my goals has always been for and I, and I put it in my video that I posted that we as black and, and people of color have to stop looking to white institutions for our validation and we have to seek within. So one of the things that um, I launched some time ago and FMF has supported and is, is working with us is getting the black award shows to recognize family music, the NAACP Image Awards, the BET Awards, the Soul Train Awards, Urban One Honors, none of them has ever focused on in, the, in this category. So it's twofold. So I can't just sit here and just beat up one side and not beat up the other. We have to do both. So right now, FMF is, is doing both. And uh, uh, we have a, a, an appeal that people can sign uh, to be a part of, um, uh, you know, just asking these organizations. Uh, and I guarantee you, most of them never even thought of it. So we call it a friendly appeal because I know I didn't think about it until I got into it. So I can't be holier than thou. And, you know, now beat them up just because I happen to come into some knowledge and they didn't have it at the time. So it's just an organ. We have to continue to organize. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And just one more thing to build on that, you know, and the organization that we have chosen to to create is Family Music Forward, you know, and just within seven months of us organizing and we meet meeting on a consistent uh, weekly basis, you know, we've been able to produce um, a, a bl- black and brown children's music festival, Kakuza Fest. Uh, we've been able to shake up the children's music industry, uh, you know, and turn it upside down and actually make history, you know. So, so definitely, these are the types of steps that we feel we need to take, and this is just the beginning. Incredibly exciting thing, yeah. I'm, and I'm, I'm so glad that you both mentioned Family Music Forward a little bit in passing, but I'm really glad, Aaron, that you you know, made sure that our listeners understand exactly what that is and uh, and how they can support it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if people can, uh, we'll, we'll put the link uh, when we put mm-hmm. this uh, podcast out so that yeah. people can find you and sure. uh, and and sign on and become a part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Super exciting. Well, yeah. and I know it got to resonate with you, Dave, because I know you and Jen have an activist uh, orientation from your, your college days. And uh, so it, the, the beautiful thing about Family Music Forward is that it's, it, it represents all of us. You have white, you have Asian, you have Latino, you have black, all of us in, in this room. And the other thing is we also all say that, listen, this is going to be some tough conversations. So these are not some easy conversations we have. And we always say, if you mess up, own it, and then let's keep moving forward. And, and that's the only way that you can do it because the only people that don't make mistakes are people who don't do anything. So, um, there you yeah. go. I think that's been a hard thing. I'll say personally for me and a lot of other 
well-meaning white people is like, you know, we're always afraid of doing something wrong, you know, and, and saying the wrong thing. And, and, uh, you know, and, and so then sometimes people aren't honest and they mm -hmm. don't help build those relationships of trust. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that's a really important, it, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's, it's not that you want to be hurtful and obnoxious, obviously, <laughs> right, right. but we've got to keep trying, you know, and, and, and engage and, and not be so afraid that we'll make a mistake that we don't do that. So yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Especially, it's hard when, especially any of us, things, things that we've grown up doing, when someone calls us out on it and say that this might be offensive, it's hard. I mean, I had a song um, called Jump to the Beat. Uh, and I had some lyrics on it. I, I got called out on and, and I got defensive at first, but the lyrics are, you can jump uh, on a trampoline and you can jump like a Mexican jumping bean and you can jump real high so that you can be seen. Mm -hmm. I had never heard, knew though that a Mexican, Mexican jumping bean yeah, can be offensive yeah. to someone. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. now I'm taking that song off the market. I'm going to redo it and add some other lyrics, but I have to admit, I got very defensive at first, and uh, and it gave me a better perspective of when I'm talking to someone else to be a little more sensitive and give them some time to process what I'm trying to tell them if something that they're doing is offensive. Yeah, I think I think part of that is not we just don't know history and how things came about. I yes, mean, like uh, I was blew my mind a couple of years ago to find out that uh, if I say, "Hey, can I pick your brain?" that actually goes back to picking cotton. Like it actually is a derogatory wow. kind of thing. Yeah, know that until now. Right. <laughs> it, it blew my right. mind when I found you know, it. You know, one of my one of my hits I used to perform in all my shows was Five Little Monkeys Jumping on the Beach. Yes. Yes. You know. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the hard thing I think is also you know, even the person who seems like they're doing everything right right now you know that like in five years, That's things right. are gonna change and that we're gonna discover and have new sensibilities. Uh -oh. And I mean, you know, when you think of all the things right now that are, people are dealing with transphobia and stuff, and you know, not that long ago, that was just not in the public eye mm -hmm. as an issue. And so people did all kinds of things that were offensive about that and you know and still are but you know but we're we're learning we're hopefully evolving and mm -hmm. <laughs> yes oh, yeah. you know, what's the thing i seem to I, I, years ago i used to do the diversity training workshops and i would part of you know now we're going to talk about tolerance i find that unbelievably offensive now like if someone comes mm -hmm. up and goes oh well <laughs> we could talk let's talk about tolerance tolerance True tolerance. You don't need to tolerate me. What, what are you talking about? But that was so much a part of like the late eighties, early nineties way of talking about like, can we all get together? Will you tolerate me? Um, so, um, what are you guys speaking of all this stuff? What you, so? What are your thoughts about the the three acts? But three acts for people, for people, yeah. right? Who pulled out? What 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 do you guys think about that? It, it, do you think that it was? Heroic? Do you think it's like sort of too much, not enough, too little, too late? Do you think it was the right time, or or what are your thoughts about them taking that stand? Man, I say more power, more love, you know, more uh, more blessings, you know. I think that it was a profoundly um, rebellious move, you know, <laughs> and um, and it, and it cause the impact that we like to see, you know, and I'm glad that I'm glad that they did it. I think it was the time. I think it's the least they could do, you know, in this in this climate, you know, in all honesty. So it's not like we're trying to hail them up or big them up. But, but we are appreciative of that. And I'm not going to call it a gesture of that stance, you know, because it was a stance and it does take sacrifice. It did take a sacrifice. It did take courage. You know, um, and I don't think, you know, based on the vibe that I'm getting from them, it does not feel like it was a stunt. You know, it feels like it came from a place of integrity and sincerity, you know, and wanting to uh, be examples, you know, uh, of the type of change we want to see in the world. I mean, and in addition to that, I mean, um, it, it is very rare that you see this level of solidarity coming from uh, white men in power. Mm -hmm. you, you have white men, but not white men in power. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in a sense, they, they have a sense of power in this because of that. And I, I'm just so grateful. Uh, and I agree with you that this, to me, is not a stunt. This wasn't anything that they thought would bring them any type of fame or any, anything. Because when they get interviews, they call us. And they say, well, listen, I don't want to do this interview without, you know, a black woman, without, you know, someone there. And 
And to me, that's what it's all about. Even just like what you all did. I know you wanted a woman on this interview. Um, Lolita was unable to be here today, but the fact that when people are reaching out and want to be inclusive, that's what uh, what has to happen. And they did that in, in a very mighty way. And I'm, you know, I'm just so honored to be working, you know, I mean, that they did that and, and that they were willing to take a stand for uh, for black and brown um, artists. Alistair's yeah. been involved in talking with it, it, with Family Music Forward, right, from the beginning. Yeah, he's a member. He's a founding member of our organization, you know, and, you know, we he sought our counsel, you know, when this situation erupted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, you know, it was an open discussion, an open and honest discussion. And we laid out all the different possibilities of what a protest would look like, what a response would look like. Mm -hmm. And then we said, this is the this is what we have to offer, you know, as we've brainstormed together. Now you all take it and make your decision because it has to be a decision that you all make and that you can live with and that you can, you know, own. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And and they took it with grace. Um, yes. uh, if the approach was, you know, uh, if they had questions, they called us, we talked and, um, but again, ultimately it was their decision and we support their decision. Um, it, it just is a, a, a great, I mean, with us putting together Family Music Forward, this is kind of what we envisioned to be able to create this platform to have these tough conversations. And as you probably saw online, not a lot of people um, agree with the FMF and a lot, a lot of people agree with what the three of them have done, but we told them that you can't please everybody. You gotta just look in the mirror and as long as you can please, please yourself, then mm -hmm. that's what you have to go with. Mm -hmm. Wow. It, it, it always strikes me what David and I have been talking recently about the roots of children's music. And you know, when you think of the two, basically the two people who are responsible for children's, Eddie Jenkins, and and Pete Seeger, it's it's pretty mind blowing to think that it's taken this long for a political action like this to come out of the movement. Absolutely. But uh, but it, it it's 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 I'm glad to see it happening. It's really cool. Well, you know, I will say, uh, in my understanding, when I look at the history of the Grammys, is um, and I you know I teach some classes for adults about music of different eras. And when I teach about music of the '60s in particular, it's really interesting to look at how far behind the Grammys are behind sort of the popular um, movement uh -huh. of music because all of the major Grammy winners for most of the 60s until finally the Beatles kind of break through are parent music. They're crooners or Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and stuff. It's not, you know, Jimi Hendrix and the Grateful Dead and all the icons of the, they never won at Grammys, you know? So <laughs> in a way it's, it's, it's always been a little reactionary, a little behind the times take a while before hip hop gets in a while before you know like it, it, it's it, it's a well, slow moving thing well, but i think what's happening right now is actually pushing change faster than it usually happens so well yeah. two things i would say one thing is uh, in full disclosure i was a board governor of the grammy so i was fighting this fight from the inside for a long time uh boy <laughs> Boy, was I, <laughs> particularly I <bet. laughs> with, with kids, with, particularly with kids' music. But um, one of the things that a lot of people, again, about history, both the, um, I would say this, I know this for a fact about the Academy, but I think this is true about all the awards. The um, the Motion Picture Academy was actually started to to uh, put a clamp down on independent production. Uh, mm -hmm. When when, um, when uh, Mary. Uh, what is it, Mary Pickford and and uh, what's uh, oh brain stop working, uh, Charlie Chaplin. When all of the people left the it started United Artists as an independent company. The studios got together and created the Academy Awards, and no one who wasn't in 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 a studio could get one. And I think the Grammys have a similar way of the way they were conceived, or or the why they were conceived was to support the record industry and not the independent record industry and it and i think that's why they were always behind they weren't looking at what was going on at the time they were just there to keep things keep the keep the money coming in from a very um conservative mainstream way and uh yeah they've been horribly behind and we you know we did stuff on the inside to try and change that but boy i mean <laughs> stories i could tell you guys that's, that's some good history though. That's yeah. some yeah, good yeah, history. absolutely absolutely yeah. i appreciate that yeah mm -hmm. so I, it goes back to what you're saying about award shows and everything you know like we do need to create our own 
but we also need to make sure that we're clear about what they are. I mean, one of the one of the downfalls of the Grammys is that it's really become a TV show. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, there's the TV right. show, and the TV show makes so much money for the organization. Now, I will say, having been on the inside, there's a lot of really cool stuff that the organization does as far as advocacy for artists mm-hmm. and musicians, and Music Cares is amazing. In fact, um, if you guys know anybody who needs help, there's money there, again, f- to help people who are dealing with financial issues right now with oh, COVID. I'm no. a recipient, so yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The most important thing is, again, um, we, we don't take a, a large brush and just paint one organization as bad or mm-hmm. good or anything to that extent. Um, I've, Aaron will tell you that before the nominations came out, in inside of FMF, I said I didn't want anything to do with the Grammys. But it, that, that didn't mean I didn't think that people shouldn't work in the Grammys. Mm-hmm. I just had my own area where I knew I was going to focus in on. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I, I, you know, I still have my membership because of what, what Rodney just said. You know, I love the advocacy. I love Music Cares, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so when they help me and when now, you know, now that I don't need the help, I'm giving it back and I'm advocating other people to donate money to mm-hmm. Music Cares. So I think overall, um, uh, the one thing I can just say is uh, one of the things that, that I can use help with and that we can use help with is to uh, support We Nation Radio. Uh, we stands for Watoto uh, Entertainment and Education, and Watoto is Swahili for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the only way that this can succeed is if people turn it on and listen. Uh, and if you're going to listen to something else, turn it on and let your children listen to it. It's 24-7. You can get access up to it now on Roku TV, on Fire TV. Mm-hmm. I just got an email today that you can now say, hey, Alexa, turn on We Nation Radio as well as uh, Hey Google. So um, we're trying to make it more accessible to people. And and then the final thing is for me, my objective is to continue to make our programming free to those who can't afford XM radio or internet service. And so for my ready, my weekly radio station on WPFW 89.3 FM, which airs every Wednesday uh, evening from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, that's just one, but I'm looking to do a syndicated radio program in every major city to help continue to introduce what we're doing, uh, you know, across the board. And while we do focus on black artists, that's not all we play. We play everybody. If you got good music, we're going to play it. Cool. Yeah, and I would just jump in and just say, you know, um, we're grateful that the Recording Academy opened up a dialogue with us and that they did it uh, so quickly um, and intentionally. Um, and we hope to continue the dialogue with them and to be a partner with them in, in creating change, not only in the Grammy nomination process, but in the children's music industry overall, you know, and we, and we want to, you know, say, hey, we want to acknowledge that they, the leadership is new there right now um, and that hopefully uh, this new leadership will see uh, what's going on and seize, seize this moment and, you know, take, have the courage to really go ahead and implement new processes that will help us not see outcomes like we've seen in the past, you know. Um, if you want to learn more about, you know, my work, Aaron Nigel Smith, you can just check out AaronNigelSmith.com. And if you want to learn more about the nonprofit that I'm working, uh, that I uh, founded, it's OneWorldChorus.org. And again, we're just focused on really enriching and encouraging and uplifting children uh, and promoting peace through music, you know. So yeah, y'all check it out. I got a live No Jive song off my new live album, Aaron Nigel Smith and One World Chorus live in LA. We got a Pete Seeger jam. If I had a hammer. If I had a hammer, I'd a hammer in the morning. I'd a hammer in the evening. All over this land. I'd a hammer out danger. Sing it in the morning, I just sing it in the evening. 
a hammer and I've got a bell and I've got a song to sing all over this land it's a hammer of justice it's a bell of freedom it's a song about love between my brothers and my sisters oh it's a hammer of justice it's a bell of freedom it's a song about love between I'm going to um, pick my song called uh, When I Play the Drums. You know, I'm the children's drum cushionist. I'm from Washington, D.C. Uh, the official music of D.C. is go-go music. Uh, just became law this year. Um, I'm working on what I believe to be the very first ever children's go-go CD that I hope to have out early next year. But this song, um, When I Play the Drums, um, walks you through each step of, a, of, of what, what all the different percussion instruments that it takes to make the play, play drums. So uh, it's, it's me, it's, it's what I do. I, I grew up doing it, and so I, I'm sure that uh, people will enjoy it. When I play the drums, it goes like this. When I play the drums, it brings me happiness. When I play the drums, it goes like this. When I play the drums, I put it in the mix. Like this. How you doing? All the children. Where you at? I say ho. Wave your hands. All around. To the beat. Let's do it. When I play the congas, it goes like this. When I play the congas, it brings me happiness. When I play the congas, it goes like this. When I play the congas, I put it in the mix. Like this.
That's perfect. I love the fact that you're doing go-go music for yeah. families. It's <laughs> 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 amazing. <laughs> yes. So instead, of, so what are you doing instead of doing the butt? What are, what are you? I'm doing a church it? ushers dance. Oh, okay. But actually, I have a song on the next CD um, called um, "Little Kangaroo in the Pocket." Uh. <laughs> no, oh, nice. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We also had the opportunity to interview Flor Bromley for this segment. I grew up in Peru mm-hmm. and I've always been working with kids and I knew I wanted to be in the entertainment world and um, I, I, my mom says this story when I was four years old so I would sing with my long hair in front of the mirror you know mm-hmm. but my parents are both professional she's like he's a doctor she's a lawyer and teacher and they don't know anything about the business so <laughs> kind of like being on stage was always what I wanted to do so I started with acting so when I moved here and I did musical theater I was like that's what I want to do I want to do musical theater and that kind of evolved into working for this company where I would sing for kids and I was in a band and when I did that show I remember it was at El Museo del Barrio in the city mm-hmm. I was like this is what I want to do this is what I want to do oh, cool. <laughs> nothing else and I, I found what I was meant to do I, I want to say it that way mm-hmm. cool wow. and now you have a, have something that you had submitted this year to the Recording Academy and the Grammy process right Yes, yes. Maybe you could say a little bit about um, what your project is Mm -hmm. and what it was like to be part of that that process in the Grammys. Sure. So my project is called Fiesta Global, and it's a bilingual music album for kids with different music genres. And um, I submitted it to the Grammys. My Actually, I'm not a member of the Academy yet. I'm in the process of, um, but... My engineer submitted it, mm-hmm. and I was grateful to be included in the first-time ballot. It's my first time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. And um, you know, so part of what we're focusing on in this episode is this this issue that's arisen where, um, in the children's category this year, all five nominees are uh, white artists, and four out of those five are also male artists. And so, uh, you know, some some people have been bravely foregoing their nominations in protest maybe you could talk a little bit about your feelings about that those issues of you know sort of issues of racism and sexism within this awards process I think I mean when you pick a a top 10 or whatever you pick from the pool that you know right Uh, so visibility Mm -hmm. is key And, and and the Grammys I mean it's a popularity contest in a way, right? I think, and I hope, if they heard them, if they would have looked at them and heard them, um, they would have been nominated. Projects so great as as Peers, as, as Saul Paul, as um, other bilingual musicians, other female artists. And, mm-hmm. and, and what people were mad about is like those, the music from the artists that were nominated, it's so great, but it's kind of the same. You know, it sounds kind of the same. And somebody also commented about how usually the people that are nominated have this style of folksy indie music, and there's no diversity on that either. So I think that's what people were up in arms. That's what people were so upset about. And that's why um, it became such a controversy, and it has been a historical move by these uh, three males to step and rescind their nominations. And I think, hopefully... The, the way that it's been done so aggressively and, and so poignant, hopefully it brings some change into the academy. The thing about being Hispanic and being a female is that, first of all, being a female, you only get so many spots as a female. Yeah. And then being a female, a Hispanic, you only get so many spots as a Hispanic. And sometimes I don't know which spot I'm getting. I don't even think that people think of me as a female artist they mm-hmm. just think of me as a hispanic artist mm-hmm. and they just like all right so um you're just gonna fill up that hispanic spot mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean but i'm yeah. a female musician too <laughs> so that's when the sexism and racism becomes blurry 
mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, it's who you know, but it's also what spot are you going to fill? And since there's so little spots for us because there's the token spot, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we we sometimes have to compete within each other and they pit mm-hmm. us against each other. And that's just not right. Mm-hmm. That's just not right because we shouldn't be competing for those spots. Yeah. We should all be given a chance and because of the music, not just because oh, you're just a Hispanic or you're just a female. So when you're performing, uh, I'm guessing that the audiences, I mean, my experience of doing kids' music, the audiences are always mixed or, or um, some, actually in some of the cases are predominantly white. Uh, what do you find your audience to be when you're performing? They're very mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started working with this company, before I launched my musician career, it was mostly um, bilingual parents or, or parents of white children that wanted their kids to be bilingual, mm-hmm. you know. But I feel like now, in, in five years, amazing things have happened. And now I think that, that there's more people, you know, that just want to um, introduce their kids to different types of music. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a DJ, it's a matter of taste, right, what I play on my show. But I'm also, if I'm a DJ, I'm in a position that I can expose people to different kinds of music. And I think it needs to be a little bit of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like what you and a number of the other artists that we're going to talk to are doing is really trying to raise that visibility, you know, to raise people's consciousness, whether it's the uh, sort of people who have those gateway uh, powers of you know what they're going to allow people to hear in terms of you know establishment or or media or radio or this the general public that there is all this uh, wealth of diverse music of diff- from different backgrounds that more people need to know about and because uh, a lot of more people will be interested in it if they mm-hmm. hear what you're doing and, and and other artists who are from more diverse backgrounds. It's not about me, you know, because this Grammy, especially, I mean, it's my first time submitting. It's not about me. I didn't really even imagine being nominated. Of course, you're always hopeful, but it's about the other albums that didn't. That's what, like, when I saw the list, I was putting my kids to sleep and I was on my phone and I saw the list and I was just like, wow, (laughs) because there's some albums that I knew in my heart that were going to be nominated and they weren't. Mm -hmm. So... I just said, wow, I put my kids to sleep. I went to do my thing. And my husband's like, I don't think you got it. I don't think I got nominated. But that, that's not what is bothering me right now. You know, it bothers me what everybody has been bothered by this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the best things that you could do is join the Academy and then get on the board and then get on one of the committees, but also encourage other people to do so. I am a 30-year veteran of the Grammys, and I was on a number of committees and a governor for a long time, and I fought the good fight <laughs> for a long time. You know, I, I like the fact that you pointed out, Fleur, that, um, you know, it's not that the nominees this year are bad. They're all really mm-hmm. good musicians, and it's mm-hmm. important for us to recognize that. It's just not representing the diversity of, the, you know, uh, and, and all of the quality projects that don't fall into that white male category. Yeah. And, and you made that point, I think, very well. Yes. <laughs> so. Thanks. You know, it, it's... It's a tricky business, and uh, but it's, it's what we do. And I feel like this community is, is really great. You know, mm-hmm. people, it, it's small. So everybody kind of knows each other, and everybody is kind of supportive of each other. And um, if there were ways that we didn't have to compete for one slot or something like that, it, it would make it would make it so much better. But I mean, that's that's what life is sometimes. I mean, professions are like that. People have to compete in different places. So let's make this competition just a positive thing and, and um, let's lift each other up. And if we have a chance to uh, include other people in our albums, yeah, let's do it. You know, mm-hmm. let's, 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 let's make this visibility more open. And I think... I think I think we're doing that. I think people are committed to this change, and I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I it, I think you're right that it's a very supportive world that we're in musically in the mm-hmm. children's music world because even though there is competition and particularly in things like an award, I think most people don't really spend their time thinking about being in competition with each other. I think we're all wanting what's best for children. I mean, that's part of it is that our focus is a little less on ourselves than in other musical mm-hmm. worlds because I, I think that at least the best people who work with children yeah. their focus is on you know meeting the needs of kids mm-hmm. and their ego can kind of have 
a back seat sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that helps. But I've always felt that uh, that this world of children's music is, is more co- collaboration and cooperation and helping each other than it is about trying to beat each other or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a song called We Came to America that talks about all this all this stuff and um uh it's 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 inspired by the book of Faith Ringgold who is uh who's an activist she's uh an artist and a children's author and uh it's it's a song that talks about this it's like we'll all be yeah. treated the same no matter where we come from mm-hmm. every race religion and all that yeah. i think that'd be Can perfect you that? yeah, please, <laughs> yeah please do That's that'd great. be great yeah Losing our freedom and our names We travel from our birthplace By boat and by plane Some of us came running From injustice, fear and pain We came to America Every color, race and religion From every country in the world We came to America We brought along our joyful songs wise and true, our music color the air, beautiful sounds and patterns everywhere, our joyful dance of feet our pain, gently like soothing rain, we came to America, every color, race and religion, from every country in the world, we came to Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure to know you, to get to meet you, and then hopefully one day we can all meet in person and hug. Yeah, well, it will happen <laughs> yeah. someday, and maybe not so far off. You've been listening to Music for the New Revolution. I'm Rodney Wittenberg. I'm David Heitler-Clevens. Music for the New Revolution is recorded at Melody Vision Recording Studios and produced, written, and edited by David Heitler-Clevens and Rodney Wittenberg. And special thanks to our interns from Oberlin College, Valerie Kellner and Julian Wirth. You can find us at musicforthenewrevolution.com or MFTNR. Like us on Facebook and follow our Spotify playlist. And our podcasts can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. And you can also be a patron, a supporter of our podcast on Patreon. 
This is music for the new revolution. Tell all the children in the arms of the mamas. The FBI.